0: Good morning, church family. How are you guys this morning? Isn't it good to be here? It's good to be seen. I was on the porch this morning about five o'clock studying and praying and reading, and, and uh, that storm starts coming through Kevin, and, and I'm thinking, okay, here, let's see. I wonder how many maybe greenhouses are going to be blown down and roofs are going to come off. And that wind switched, and it made a change of direction. Then it got pretty rough at the house. But I thought, man, in the midst of the storm, God is good, isn't he? He is very good. Um, and so we're glad that you're here. Listen, we want you to be involved. Man, please join us for that time. I don't want you to miss out. We've talked about spiritual growth happens intentionally. It just doesn't happen as you're walking through life. You've got to make some intentional choices. It's a great opportunity to be with my buddy Steve Petted and worship with us that weekend. Uh, They're coming up on the 28th and 29th. Uh, for those of you that can't make it, we understand that. Steve will be, be with us on that Sunday morning. and But make sure that you sign up today. Um, prices will be going up tomorrow uh, from 105 to 120. But you can sign up by texting the word IRON to our text line, as Michael says, at 352 you know, 358 young These young guys. By the way, our skeet shooting, we're going to hold it here at the church house. Oh, my goodness gracious. Brian says, I think there's something in that balloon up there. I said, yeah, when you shoot it, confetti's going to come all over the place. And so, uh, but any, anyway, we're going to pick up where uh, we left off. But listen, is Peyton still in there? She may have walked out. Where are you at, girl? In the ba- hey, Peyton, you did a great job leading this morning. Thank you. Woo! You may not know this, but very intentionally, we, we set students inside of everything that happens here on Sunday mornings. This is not just adult-driven and performance-driven. We want our kids, we want this heritage to be a training place for students, and we're blessed to have a lot of students that are involved a lot of Sundays, and, um, and you'll find out teenagers sometimes can do things a lot better than adults can if you give them a chance and we're blessed here and we believe in our teenagers and students and Peyton, thank you. She's one of our student interns and uh, Peyton, um, thank you so much. And so uh, anyway, we're gonna be in Romans chapter seven, picking up where we left off last week. But let me say this, a civil war is a battle that happens with citizens within a a country. America faced a civil war back in the 1860s. and it was a very, very dark time in American history. And if you would go back, one of the unusual, one unusual facts about that time in the Civil War is that both sides that were opposed to one another uh, felt as if, if God was, was with them. Now, as believers, as Christ followers, this is what I know, there's a Civil War battle that happens within our lives. There's two opposing sides that exist. There's the, there's the flesh and there's the spirit. One side having been awakened by the Spirit of God um, that desires the things of God, and on the other side, that which is dominated by the flesh, opposed to everything that the Spirit of God wants to do in and um, in our lives. When Paul was writing to the church at Galatia, this is the way he would, he would say it. If you'd like to turn there, or you can just maybe read it up on the screen. This is what Paul said to the church at Galatia in chapter 5 when he talked about these two opposing sides in verse 16 and 17. Paul said this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature craves, sinful um, nature wants to do evil which is just opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two opposing forces are constantly fighting each other. Um, So you're not free to carry out your own good intentions. Sheila would say it this way. She's taught us this little saying, two natures beat within my breast. The one is evil, the other is blessed. The one I love, the other I hate. The one I feed will dominate. Well, today... Um, we want to start off and where we left off there in Romans chapter 7, verses 13 to 25. And what we're going to see today inside of our time is we're going to see a conflict inside the life of a believer. Two opposing natures inside of us fighting it out. And here's Paul doing his best he can to fight it in his own strength and in his, in his own flesh, quickly realizing, man, I can't do this. It's just so difficult, it's so hard. And at the end of the passage, near the end of the passage, we hear Paul's cry. And the cry was, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will save me from this life that is dominated by sin and, the, and death? And I want to say this up front, that there isn't a battle unless there's two opposing sides. But once there is opposition, there is a war that ensues. Listen, if you're here today and you call yourself a believer and you're not wrestling... And you're not struggling and you're not in a battle, you need to check yourself, as a friend of mine would say. Because as a believer and a follower of Christ, there are two opposing natures. We're going to look at the battle today from from Paul's perspective, from his life. And believe it or not, Paul would struggle with some of the same issues 2,000 years ago that we today struggle with ourselves. And so, this is what Paul says, and I'd like to read this this passage of scripture to you there from Romans 7, verses 13 to 25, if you would give me uh, the pleasure of listening at this moment. But let me just say this for those of us believers, man, there's something inside of this for us. And I just want to challenge you with this. I want you to be very attentive to listening to what the Holy Spirit says today. Can you do that? I just want you to, to open up your mind, and I want you to listen because there might be something here that will be life-changing and altering for you if you're willing to listen. This is really important. Brian and I were talking about it earlier. I don't want to mess this up. This is so good and it's so applicable for us as believers. And so so here's Paul, and this is what he said. He starts out with a question. But how can that be that the law, which is good, caused my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So the trouble is not with the law. It's for its spiritual and good. The trouble is with me for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for I I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. You ever felt that way? (laughs) You ever felt that way? He said, instead, I, I do what I hate, but if I, I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law was good, so I am not the one doing the wrong. It is a sin living within me that does it, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. This poor fellow. You know, I feel the same way. He says, but I do it anyway. Verse 20, but if I, if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living within me that does it. He says that a few times, doesn't he? But I've discovered this principle that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. <laughs> I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me. That is at war with my mind, and that power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Johnny, you know that verse? You remember that? Yeah. To the sin that's still within me. But you better know it. You got to repeat to it wherever, but you you got to remember that for those disciple this shit this week. And then he says, This: Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me or deliver me or rescue me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God. The answer is. Is where? In discipline? In doing better? In better intentions? He said, no, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, you know how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Would you pray with me? Father, this is what I ask today. This is... This is life-changing once we get this. Help us not to miss what you want us to teach, what you want us to learn today. we be very sensitive to listening. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would teach us. Teach us today. We ask that and we beg of that of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we saw last week where Paul had come to the conclusion that the law was good, that what it did is it illuminated sin. It didn't save us, but what it did is it brought to light the fact that we were sinners. And the problem isn't with the law, but the problem is with our sinful nature. And so here's Paul revealing the struggles of his own sinful nature. And it's a conflict that every one of us face. We're not... not Paul's not alone in this, but this is something that all of us, we will experience. Now, in reading the passage, there's a couple of different extremes we can go to. Number one, the simplest perfection. That, um, that once we come to know Christ, the battle between the flesh and, and the spirit will eventually end once you become mature enough. In other words, you'll get to the place, you'll grow, 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 and then all of a sudden you'll become, you'll become perfect. And I don't know if I've ever met a perfect person. Have you? Now, I know that there are some of us that may think we're perfect, but I, I, I have a thing or two to say about that, but it's just not happening. And so there are those that think that we get to this place, but that's, you know, that's not to the other side, people. That's not to the other side. The other extreme is something that we've talked about a few chapters ago, antinomianism, which means against the law. It takes a biblical teaching and it comes to a, an unbiblical conclusion. The biblical truth is the fact that we aren't saved by obeying the law. But antinomianism says that there's no moral law that God expects us to obey and we can't obey it anyway, so why even try? Well, here's Paul writing and one of the questions at hand is who is, who is Paul really referencing? Is he referencing a believer or is he talking about a person that is, has that is um, trusted Christ and is struggling with that relationship with Christ? That is is struggling with still struggling with sin. Based on what I think Paul has already said up until this point, and I happen to believe that Paul isn't just talking about a believer, but he's talking about a seasoned person in their faith. Now, to point that out, if you go back to, to Romans 5 and 6, Paul talks about being justified, that we've been saved, that we're a new person, we are a new person in Christ. And I think the same person that Paul is talking about in, in chapters five and six is the same person that Paul is referencing in seven, in chapter seven. It's just a different aspect of the struggle. One commentary says, and I paraphrase this, it seems that here Paul is describing a mature believer who, when they honestly measure themselves against God's standard of righteousness, the more that they realize that they fall short, or we might interpret it or say it this way. The closer that we get to God, the more we're able to see our sin. Right. Do you hear that? That the closer we move to God, the closer we move in the direction of God, the more we stand in his presence, we're able to see our own sin. See, the immature person says, "Man, I've arrived. I <laughs> you know, Jesus loves me because I'm perfect." You know, I don't make any mistakes. Or if I make mistakes, I only make a few mistakes. Whereas the person that is maturing in Christ recognizes our brokenness and cries out in humility, just like Paul did. Oh, what a wretched, miserable person I am. See, the tone of Paul's writing here and what he's saying isn't that of a defeated person, but it is a man experiencing humility. It's an attitude of humility. It's the same attitude that we see several times in Paul's writings. When writing to the church at Corinth, this is what Paul had to say. I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way that I persecuted God's church. It was the same attitude that Paul had when he was writing to the church at Ephesus when he said, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege to tell the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Or or maybe it was what Paul had to say when he was writing to Timothy, when he said, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. <laughs> oh, by the way, which I am the greatest of all. So it's important to note that, uh, uh, that at the time, uh, Paul didn't think this way. I mean, there was a time in in Paul's life when he didn't think that way. this, This is all about after transformation. But if you remember, before the transformation, before Paul's life changed, while he was before ever coming to know Christ, Paul's attitude was this. I obeyed the law without fault is what he said. In other words, man, I was a pretty good guy. I obeyed the law. I not only knew it, but I obeyed it. But when he came face to face with the Lord, something took place. There was a a change that was made. He came to see that his righteousness and that his goodness was nothing compared to the perfection of Jesus Christ. And it's the same way with us. It's the same way with us. I mean, it's one thing to say, man, I'm a pretty good person. But all of a sudden, when you stand in front of the Lord in that moment in time, when you stand in his presence to recognize, oh, what a sinful man I am. The author, the Puritan author, Thomas Watson, said this, A sure sign of sanctification is a deep sense of dislike for sin. A hypocrite can leave sin but love it. But just like a snake sheds its coat but keeps its sting, a sanctified person can say not only will he leave sin, but he will hate it. There's an old saying, and I I quote that, He who falls into sin is a man but he that is grieved at sin is a saint. Mm. And so here's Paul writing out of this deep sense of humility and authenticity, oh, what a wretched man I am. You know, in in my own personal life, I think it's those moments in time that I feel closest to the Lord, that all of a sudden it seems like the veil is torn and there's a heightened awareness of not just the big stuff but even the small things are you with me can you say amen, amen. i mean it's it's those moments and times when i'm 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 there with the lord and in those moments and time it's not it's almost like it's it's like there's a peeling back and it's not just the big things but all of a sudden some of the things that used to not bother me they begin to bother me, and I see my sin. It's it's like walking into a to a room filled with with windows, and um, those windows have been closed by shades or curtains, and the only light in that room is a dim light from above. Be like us turning off and just leaving one light, and it looks you know it looks pretty clean at that moment in time. But when you pull those curtains back and the rays of sun come in. It's almost like you can see things that you've never seen before. You see, you see stuff that you never saw. It reminds me of Isaiah 6 when, in that vision when, when he said he saw the Lord and he cried out, it's, it's over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. And I, Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of of heaven's armies. It was like in the gospel of Luke in chapter five, when Jesus has this encounter with these guys and they're talking about fishing and Jesus in the early days of his ministry, they didn't catch any fish and Jesus said, listen, go back out and throw on the other side. And man, the boat almost sunk. And in the middle of that, it was Peter that was amazed to the point that he would come and he would fall down at the feet of Jesus and he would cry out, Lord, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. We live in a sinful world, but even though we do as believers, we should never, ever be satisfied with sin. I mean, how is it that we can be a professing believer and still have an overwhelming desire to fill our life with sin, and rather than rather the closer we get to God, the more dissatisfied we become with sin. So here we are in chapter 7, verse 13, and Paul begins with a question like he did in the beginning of chapter 7. Am I suggesting that the law of God was sinful and his response was no? And now here in 13, it says another question, but how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? He was talking about the law of Moses, talking about the law there. And again, Paul's response was no, of course not. God didn't give us the law to the children of Israel but to bring death, but to bring an awareness, to be helpful, not a hindrance. If you remember back last week, we talked about a couple of words that Paul used to describe the law. One of those was uh, a yoke. The other was a, a tutor or a guardian. In other words, the law was provided to give guidance and insight. Don't miss this, what I'm about to tell you. To the humble person, to the teachable person, the law, a tutor or guardian is viewed as helpful and welcomed to the prideful person to the rebellious person to the person who thinks that they can do it on their own the law is seen as a roadblock or a hindrance But God gave us the law because he loved us. There's this conflict of life. Look at what Paul goes on to say. Sin was used. Sin was used what was good, talking about the law, to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's commands for its own evil purposes. In other words, the law shows us when we blow it, but there's no long-term solution. We're hopeless. I mean, here's the law, I can't obey it, I'm not, I can't be good enough, but it, le- it sort of leaves us in limbo, but now what? So I can't obey the law, but now what do I do? And look at what he says in verse 13, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is me, for I am all too human, I am a slave to sin, I don't really understand myself, for I, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it, instead I do what I, I hate. You ever felt that way? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever made a promise that, man, I'll just never do that again, and yet you turn right around and you do it again? Does that mean that as a believer we can't obey God? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But when Paul saw the fullness of God's law, and he came to understand the, 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 the tremendous um, uh, standard that God had set, He realized that in and of himself, there was no way he would be able to measure up regardless of how much he tried, regardless of how how good he was. But the the Christians can say no. We learned that. I mean, we have the ability to say no. I think it was Martin Luther that said this. "I, I can't keep a bird from flying around in my head, but I can sure keep it from making a nest. Think about that. And the Christian has power by God's grace to resist sin and obey God. So here's Paul talking about the struggle. I want to do this, but this isn't what I I do. I do the things that I don't want to do. And that's a conflict. It's a conflict that we experience. Look at what he says in reference to the commands. Go back and let's read 13 before we get to 16. Sin used what I was, what was good to bring about the condemnation to death, so how can we um, so we can see how terrible sin really is? It uses god 's good commands for its own evil purposes, so the trouble is not with the law it 's not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. the trouble 's with me for i 'm all too human, a slave to sin i don 't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but i don 't do instead I do what I hate. The law cannot change us, it only shows and reveals our sinful nature it can't eradicate sin it can only activate it and provoke it like we said last week and Paul goes on to say in verse 16 but I know that what I'm doing is wrong this shows that I agree that the law is good so I'm not the one doing wrong it's the sin living within me that does it and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature I want to do what's right but I can't I want to do what is good but I don't I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But I, if I don't do what I want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living within me, impulsed, again, this ongoing struggle. How many times in life has we thought, have we thought of as a believer, whatever it may be, I'm just not going to do that, only to find ourselves struggling with that old nature, I mean, and we're determined that we're going to overcome it. We're we're determined that we're not going to do this. And you know what? You might succeed for a a season in your discipline and in your abilities. But I want you to know this. What the law says doesn't mean that our knowledge, just because we know the law, our knowledge of the law will not keep us from the struggles of the sinful nature. You understand that? Just because we know what the law says, we have an understanding of what the law says, our knowledge of the law will not keep us from struggling with the old nature because all it does is illuminate our sin. It provokes sin, but it does not keep us from sinning. After professing Christ in us, there's a new nature. The spiritual man delights in obeying the Lord, but the old nature, the sinful man that still exists, delights in rebelling against Christ. God and living to please self listen our efforts on our time and our way only lead to total frustration in the end that's what it does and that's the same place that Paul finds himself at the end oh what a miserable man I am I'm trying but I just can't get it done I mean I'm trying to do everything that I can but it's just not working out How many of us are trying to obey the law and that's our source of righteousness and we're missing out on the new life in Christ. There's something inside of this that I don't want you to miss because it's not obedience to the law that saves. It's not obedience to the law that brings life. There is a new life that takes place. I mean, it's not turning over a new leaf. You're a new creature in Christ, created. That's where that word born again comes from. That I'm born again. Something, something happens within me. It's not because I'm good enough. I'm going to make a decision. How many times do we, I want to follow Jesus. And we think following Jesus is about obeying the letter of the law. The law doesn't save us. Man, it only frustrates us. We become so overwhelmed. Here's David writing in the Psalms. David said this in Psalms 119. Your instructions, the laws, they are they're my, they're my delight. Only a little bit later for him to say, just a couple of verses, I've wandered away like a lost sheep. How many of us spend so much time focusing on the law, obedience to the law, and we end up taking our eyes off of Jesus and instead of living to please Jesus? with that new heart. The law can't help us overcome our bad habits, our choices that we constantly make. And the more that we try to obtain it by keeping the law, we realize in in the long run, man, this is just futile. It was Jesus that said, "I I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. And in Matthew chapter five, verse 20, turn over there for a second, please. Turn over back to the first first book there, the first gospel, Matthew, the the gospel of Matthew. And let's see what what Jesus had to say when he was speaking in reference to the Pharisees. This is what Jesus had to say, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Here are these guys listening and thinking to myself, these disciples, I mean, you you got to be kidding me. What do, you, what do you mean our righteousness has to be better than theirs? I mean, here the guy, he's talking about the Pharisees. These were the experts. These were the caretakers of the law. These are the ones that spent all their time building a fence trying to keep the riffraff out, okay? This is what they did. And so here's, here's Jesus saying that, listen, your righteousness has to be better than the righteousness of, of theirs. These were the guys that did everything to obey the law. And they must've thought, man, listen, if, if they struggle. What in the world does it mean for us? But Jesus said it because the purpose of the law wasn't to show us, it was to show us that it takes more righteousness than what we can produce than on our own to be able to get to heaven. The righteousness that we have, that we try to produce that it takes more than that for us to be able to experience heaven. For us to be righteous by the law, we have to be perfect, which is why a perfectionist is often Frustrated, one man said this, nothing gives a sense of failure so often as an over-sense, of, uh, so over-sense developed sense of perfection. This leaves a person to set an impossible standard for himself. Thus, he doesn't accomplish what he would hope to accomplish. Perfectionism is good in a, in a moderate dose, but when overdeveloped, it results in feelings of guilt and failure because they can't keep the standards they've set, nor can anyone else. But what it does is it drives us towards God's grace. Paul's conclusion: Look in verse twenty-one and following. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin, to the sin that still within me. So where Paul, after struggling with the sinful nature, trying to be perfect, trying to keep the law, trying to accomplish everything that he, that he can on his own terms, he, he finally comes to the place of, of saying, what, oh, what a miserable, wretched man I am, who will free me from this life dominated by sin and, and death. The miserable, the wretched man that, that that Paul is describing here is a person that is exhausted after after a battle. That word "free and deliver and rescue is a military term that describes a soldier who would rush out into the battlefield to carry a wounded friend to safety. We heard that one of, one of our one of our own church family has experienced that in the in the flesh years ago when when he himself in a battle in the battlefield was wounded and a friend came to save him and rescue him. And in that, that friend that came to save him and rescue him lost his own life. We told that story several years ago here. And then Paul would say, oh, what a miserable person I am who will come and rescue me, deliver me because I have been wounded and beat up in the battle that I'm in. I don't think there's anything that's more frustrating in life is to try, 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 only to realize our trying it's not going to cut it. It's just not good enough. And Paul's cry was, who, who will help me? Who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin and death? Now, there's, there's an interesting part. To this, because Paul was from Tarsus, supposedly there was a barbaric group. According to historical records, there was a barbaric group that had a way of punishing criminals during their time. And one of the punishments for a murderer is they would take the person that they would that they murdered, and they would strap them to the bo- to the backside of the person that had murdered them, and make them carry that carcass around until it rotted off I want you to think about it in the context I wonder if the picture that Paul had in his mind when he was saying was who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and, and death then I says who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death when Paul said who will rescue me there was a sense of Loss of hope, hopelessness. But the story doesn't end there, does it? Because look at what the next words are. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God the answer is in discipline? No. The answer is in myself? No. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. One translation says this, I thank God that there is a way out through Jesus Christ. In a poem by Alfred Tennyson, he wrote, and I quote, Oh, for a new man to rise in me, that the man I am may cease to be. So where does this leave Paul the Apostle? I mean here's Paul who was a legalist by nature. He knew the law. He knew the law was good. He knew the law pointed out sin and the problem wasn't with the law. The problem was with the sinful nature. And Paul did everything he could to try to tackle the flesh in the flesh. He did everything he could to keep the law. And he came to the conclusion I can't do it. It's impossible. And here's Paul now after continuing to fail time and time again, 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 coming away from the struggle. He's bloody. He's worn down. He's beaten. And he cries out, who will rescue me from this sin? Who will rescue me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And it's really interesting because it's it's right here in the midst of this time that Paul is in the place that God wants him. It's in that place of frustration, aggravation, when he's been depleted and he has nowhere else to turn, that he's right at the place that God wants him. And he's at the foot of the cross. He's in that place where, I mean... He realizes that he can't control it, that he can't make it happen. He's at that place of desperation where he cries out to the Lord. It's the cry of a sinner, oh God, save me. If you're a believer and a follower of Christ, you've been there before. God, save me. That's the the first words, the first thoughts of a a person when their heart is prepared to receive Jesus I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I I, I need you. I'm tired. I'm weak. I'm struggling. I need your help. I can't do this any longer. Jesus save me. He's our hope. Jesus gave an example one day of talking about two men going to the temple. Maybe you remember the story. One was a Pharisee. The other was was a tax collector. The Pharisee looked over and He saw, you know, he saw the tax collector, and he said, "I'm I'm sure glad I'm not like that fellow over there." And he said, "You know, I'm a pretty good guy." He said, "I give, I pray, I fast." And and uh," whereas the tax collector sat on the side, and he looked to heaven, and he cried out, and he beat his breast, "Oh God, have mercy on me! I'm a sinner." If you remember, it was Jesus that said that day. The tax collector is the one that's walking away justified being made right he recognized his sin that he was poor in spirit there's a church in Bethlehem the church in the nativity it has an entryway that's four foot tall that entryway has not always been four foot tall but it was created that way for two reasons number one um during the war, to keep out large animals like horses so that it couldn't be overthrown. The second reason, it was a reminder that every person that entered that church house would have to bow down. I thought about it this morning. We should have come in with a, a low, you know, maple. but it was a reminder to bow. It's called the door of humility. It's a reminder that we come to Jesus poor in spirit, Mourning over the condition of our hearts that we can't do it in our own strength. Have you been there? Oh, what a miserable, wretched man I am. Who will save me, rescue me, deliver me, free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer isn't in me, the answer lies in Jesus. He's our hope. And you know you don't see that until you get close. But the closer you get, the easier it is to see the sin within our lives that makes us a mess. I don't know what the Spirit's saying to you today But if you've listened, I promise, there's probably a message in there for you, not from me, but from Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me today? I have to believe that the story of Paul and what Paul Wrestled with, and the words of Paul are somewhat probably similar to a lot of us in this room and a lot listening. How many of us do everything that we can to try to keep the law only to end up frustrated and overwhelmed? Today, I just want to be reminded that the law of God reminds us of our sin and it just illuminates the fact of how much we need Jesus. The law is good, there's not a problem with the law, the law is great but there's no answer in the law. Jesus is the answer. For the person that doesn't know Jesus, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of your life? For the person that does know Jesus today, the question is, are you trying to keep the law? Or are you trying to, to create your own righteousness to be good enough? You will live a life of frustration and futility, impossible. Father, today, would you give us that attitude of humility? Help us to recognize our sinfulness and be willing to cry out. As we walk through our day, may we be reminded of the store, the door of humility, coming to that place to bow down with a spirit of mourning over the condition of our hearts. Lord, I thank you for the law. I thank you for the fact that I can read the law of God and my heart be convicted of my sin. Today I pray for your grace and mercy in this time of need that we all have. Help us to experience your spirit and your power. Help us to not be so focused on trying to obey the letter of the law, but the father living in, in a, a life of new in the spirit of Jesus. Father, I pray today for the people that may be at a place where they seemed satisfied living apart from Jesus Lord, I pray for a brokenness and a mourning over the condition of their heart. Father, I pray even today that they would cry out to come to know you. Thank you for teaching us this morning, for encouraging us, for bringing us to a place that we see you at the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.